Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And, uh, Larry, today we're going to take a look back at uh, the Cancun Challenge. Uh, as the taping of this, one game still to play in that uh, tournament against uh, New Jersey and NJIT. But uh, we'll take a look back at the previous three games. And uh, we got started before we left for Mexico. We got started with that game against Georgia State here in Mackey. And what, 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 a, what a dandy that was. Well, it really was. And, and quite frankly, and I, I didn't say it on the air, but I, did, I certainly verbalized it to uh, Rob and Ralph West coming out of a break. I said at the eight-minute mark, a little bit over eight minutes to go, I said, there is nothing that indicates to me that we're going to turn this game around and win it. I mean, and then all those uh, bad thoughts start circulating in your brain about, oh, my goodness, now we're going to travel uh, <laughs> to Mexico. And uh, we went through this one other time during uh, uh, Coach Painter's reign here, and that was uh, several years ago when we ended up going out to Las Vegas and lost to Wofford here at home. And that was with a very good team. And I will always remember that. Uh, Elliot, because when I was out there, I was talking to one of the uh, Wofford's uh, sports administration officials, and I, you know, I was belly aching a little bit about, man, we gotta, we gotta start playing a little bit better, you know. And he said, "Don't worry about it, man. You got a good team. It's just one of those things. It's just happens occasionally." And he was right. That guy was right. Well, that was that was amazing because these trips and and when you're when you're with the team and you're traveling. Um, they can be a lot of fun, but a lot of that's tied into your results. And uh, oh, yeah. when you go somewhere and you lose games, even though you're in a really cool location a lot of times, those trips are absolutely no fun. And the trip that Larry referenced when when Hummel and Etuan, Juwan, and those guys were freshmen, losing to Wofford and then getting on a plane to fly to Las Vegas was was complete misery. I mean misery. I mean the whole staff is grumpy. Everybody's grumpy. The players have their heads down, and you go from from excited about a trip to wanting nothing to do with it. And and at the same time, you can't get back on the floor quick enough because you want to get that taste out of your mouth. As it turns out, we went out there and got blasted by Iowa State, and then uh, we're able to salvage a game against Missouri State, and really that kind of changed our season. But with this game. All those thoughts go through your mind when you're playing Georgia State. Absolutely. I mean, you're down, and then you keep telling yourself, well, if we can just keep it in single digits, then it goes to double digits, and then you think, boy, we really are in trouble. So we go on a 20 to nothing uh, run to win the game, and uh, I don't know if this will be true, but, I mean, we may go back over the season and think of that being perhaps the most pivotal point of the entire year Perhaps not, because, I mean, sometimes, for example, some of these teams, it's like Indiana losing to IPFW. People aren't going to remember it later if you end up having a good season. I mean, Fort Wayne fans will, and it will always be there because it's recorded. But the thing, I have to tell this story, uh, Elliot, about, um, so I'm walking down the paths at... uh, in Cancun, in our Hard, uh, hard Rock Cafe Hotel. And I'm just by myself. It's later at night. I just had uh, dinner with uh, Mookie and uh, Rob Blackman. And and I'm by myself on one of those carts. One of the courtesy carts goes by, and there's one person in that cart. 
along with the driver, and they stop and pick me up. And as they, as I get close to them, I have some Purdue gear on, and the and the rider says, "Oh no, 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 no! That's a Purdue guy. We don't want to pick him up." He's kind of <laughs> laughing about it, and I get on, and I'm sitting behind him, and I see the back of his collar, and he has a like a warm up on, and I only see his number, but I remember his number from the calling the game, and it was Donaldson. So I start carrying on a conversation with him and basically complimented him, his team, everything. Maybe you deserve to win. You guys played really great, da-da-da, and you continue to play great out here. He said, I have to tell you, though, uh, and if people remember back to the game, part of that run was an Albrecht pass to Basil Smotherman in the open court, and Bas came down and dunked the ball. And for the first time all night, the crowd exactly was where it was for 40 minutes against Villanova. Yeah. And the guy said to me, he said, I'm telling you in my entire life, he said, I have never heard a roar like that. He said, as soon as I heard that roar, it was like, I don't know what to do now. I mean, so thank you, fans, because you helped us there a lot. Well, and that's, yeah, that's something that I think our fans, I mean, we talk about it, you know, Coach talks about it in his post-game comments from time to time. Our players talk about it. Uh, Certainly social media, we emphasize the advantage that Mackey gives you. But that's a tangible example right there exactly. of just how it can turn a game. And you've got guys from Georgia State who a lot of them have seen the big time before. I mean, you know, most notably Jeremy Hollowell, um, you know, went to Indiana. He's played in big environments before. But that's a typical situation where some of those guys, this is the first time that the roof blows off a place with more than, you know, a few hundred thousand, you know, a few hundred people, maybe a couple thousand people. Uh, and and it, they – causes them to lose their mind at times and I'm not saying they did down the stretch there but certainly played a factor and allowed us to gain the momentum pick our energy level up and uh, when well, that they, game was over you came in the locker room and said we it was a 20-0 run to end the, end the game we didn't know it as a staff we had no idea and I, and I know the fans are probably thinking what do you mean you had no idea when you're wrapped up in huddles and timeouts and strategy and things like that you really don't I mean you know your deficit you don't necessarily know the score and so we, when we came in, we were shocked to, knew, to learn that it was 20 nothing. I knew it was a big run because obviously we overcame a big deficit and, and ended up winning uh, fairly comfortably. But the 20, a 20-0 run is just one of those things that I, we may never see again. And you're always a big fan of finding the unique points of a game, of a box score, things like that. And I know you and I have had the conversation a lot of times about you would say, oh, man, we, I may never see that, or I've never seen that in my 40 years of yeah, broadcasting. Right. That's another one. It's been happening all year for me. It's, an, it's unbelievable. Right from the beginning of the season, it's been that type of season so far. And, you know, we'll talk even later about that last game with Auburn and, and our three-point shooting. I've never seen a performance like that either, or a second half like we had the other day, although there have been, after looking at the record book, there have been those type of games uh, for Purdue, but I don't think there has been for as many shot attempts as maybe Purdue took because, of course, this game uh, ended up in the 90s. But you're so true. But here's here's the cool thing about Georgia State. They end up winning their bracket. Mm-hmm. They're 3-1 they're and one in the tournament. Yeah. They lost to Auburn to start this. Oh, they, they lost two games, sorry. they Two and two. They uh, lost to Auburn and Purdue. But they won both of their games in Mexico, looked very good in doing it, uh, just um, dismantled some teams. And I really think um, 
you know, things go well for them, they could be a tournament team. They well, they Co- look pretty good. And Coach Hunter made that comment to Coach Painter. Uh, it was either before or after the game. He said, I feel like we can win our league for sure. I mean, they're going to be right there um, all year to win that league and, and get an NCAA tournament bid. And, of course, if you're a Purdue fan, you're pulling for them now because anytime you get to, sure. to March and you look at your tournament resume, it's always good to have wins against tournament teams. So, uh, so after that game, we, we pack up, head down to uh, Mexico, uh, boarded a flight on uh, Sunday morning for Cancun and uh, arrived at the island that afternoon, got a practice in, practiced Monday, and then obviously games on Tuesday and Wednesday. And we started our games down there against Utah State on Tuesday and uh, a game that was close early and then we were able to play uh, play pretty well in the second half and kind of extend out and, and win comfortably there. But let's talk a little bit about the, the, the setup and everything in Cancun. Playing in a ballroom, in the convention center on the property there, and uh, it was a about an hour ride from the bu- from the airport. Got to the resort, and uh, you knew right away when you pulled in that resort. It wasn't, we weren't in West Lafayette anymore. Pretty nice place down there in Cancun. And it was all inclusive, uh, gated community. Really, is what it is. And most of the hotels, most of the hotels down there in the Cancun area are. Um, but what was interesting, I think, uh, more so than probably any place we've been I mean even the locker room setups were basically in the convention center not for a ball game because they don't play a lot of basketball down in Mexico to begin with but we were just in a side room that's where the players dressed and got taped and things of that nature where we had film study and stuff like that and then you just had to walk 50 steps to the practice facility, another indoor floor that was put down in another ballroom, exactly like the one that was in the main room. And all of this was put together about two weeks before the tournament. We talked to the tournament director and had a lot of help doing it. But by the time it was over, wasn't bad. Really wasn't bad. And the playing surface, I thought, was terrific. Yeah, I thought it was a great setup. Um, I And I was very uh, impressed with the logistics of the whole operation, the the, the organization, because you got to remember, too, uh, when we get there, there's eight men's teams there, and then another ten women's teams showed up right. about halfway through right. our trip. So they have a, our women's team uh, playing in that event as well. And so what was amazing to me is how they coordinated all the the court times between the main court and the practice court everybody got slotted into you know an hour and a half practice the first day and then a 45 minute shoot around on the day of the game and they were able to do that in a in a pretty efficient manner and shuffle teams in and out so they were able to get equal time on the court but as you mentioned the locker rooms were basically mini ballrooms or banquet rooms that they would normally use for conventions and they just put a bunch of chairs in there and a you know dry erase board and um, we were able to go in there, and that's where we did all of our, our prep and our halftime and, and pregame, postgame stuff. And the other thing that was really cool about what they did, about the people at the resort, is how they unloaded the buses and got you checked into your motel or in your hotel rooms and, and then got you out of there. Because, again, as you're talking, we're talking eight teams. We're not talking, uh, you know, two teams. And, uh, boy, they were really, really good at that man I mean that's that's about as good as I've ever seen checking in and out of a place with that big a group and Purdue by the way fans uh, took a great uh, number of fans uh, the John Purdue Club had a, a, a big package we had other people go down there on their own and we had a we had a wonderful following because both teams were down there so and that was an advantage for Purdue as well but and to think your room 
you could get out of your room and walk to the convention center within five or eight minutes at worst, eight to ten minutes. And uh, boy, that made it pretty nice. Well, that was, I mean, that was that was one of the best parts of it. You could get everywhere uh, just walking, and didn't have to sit and wait on a bus to you know take you somewhere and right. that kind of thing. We pulled up on Sunday on the bus, and we didn't get on the bus until we came home on thir- on Thursday on Thanksgiving. So uh, it was a really w- well-run tournament. And as you referenced, uh, the Purdue fans were out in droves, had a, a by far and away the largest contingency of fans there. We played Utah State. We came out to the floor, and they had mostly uh, bleacher seating throughout the the ballroom. But then there was also some courtside seating, and every right. single courtside seat was uh, occupied by a Purdue fan. It was pretty cool to see, and that's been a pretty consistent theme over the years when we've traveled. Uh, we, I thought we had far and away the most fans last year at the Hall of Fame tip-off classic. Uh, we've always represented well in Maui, which we went to the year before. So. The Purdue fans, especially on these trips, really come out well and travel, and that's always a big plus and gives us a, a pretty good advantage in those t- kind of tournaments. Um, our sports information director, Chris Foreman, uh, put together some pretty cool notes and uh, talked about the success we've had recently in tournaments. Um, nine straight wins after that Auburn win in Cancun and these exempt events. Picked up a couple wins in Maui uh, three years ago, and then last year um, in the in the uh, Hall of Fame tip-off classic in Springfield, Massachusetts. Two wins here in in, uh, West Lafayette and then two wins out there to win the championship. And uh, when we play in New Jersey, uh, Institute of Technology will be going for our 10th straight win in those events. So a pretty good little streak going here uh, in these type tournaments. But we got through the Utah State game and then then Auburn came calling. And obviously Auburn with Bruce Pearl, we've seen him before in these kind of events. Saw him in the Paradise Jam when he coached Tennessee a few years ago. Yes, and he's putting together a, uh, a lethal um, group of kids, I think, uh, over time. Now, they're young. He's had uh, two really good recruiting classes back-to-back. Has another one coming in. Um, and I watched him play the entire game against Texas Tech. They built an 18-point lead in the second half, and then it became a one-possession game. They got a block from a senior on the game's final play that would have sent the game to overtime. And, um, and and in the back of my mind, I thought that if you can get these guys to a point where, you know, you're even Steven or leading by two or four or something late, their youth would, would be a problem. And uh, it came a little bit earlier. I think uh, certainly they got their heads down late. But this, this was a good basketball game for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. And they have a they have a plethora of young talent. They really do. But saying that, I mean, I thought, uh, I mean, I don't know how you can play any better than we did the last ten minutes. Vince Edwards kind of led the way, and that was the coolest thing about this entire tournament and almost the entire season. We don't know now. Consistently, we want to have Haas, Biggie, Vince, Dakota. We want all uh, PJ. We want them all to be consistent. It hasn't been the case yet. However, someone has always delivered, uh, with the exception of the Villanova game, and as everybody knows, that too was a one-possession game, and we were in a very good position to have a to have a victory. But uh, in these other games, you don't know who it's going to be, and in that Auburn game, it was everybody. Yeah, it was everybody. You don't you don't see seventeen of twenty-six shooting from outside the arc very often in your life in a half. And, uh, I mean, it was just raining threes, 
And I'm telling you, there weren't there weren't too many rattling in, Elliot. They were they were mostly, as I refer to them as fans know, when I call a bullseye, it's usually from deep, and it's usually, you know, just tickles those twines very little. Well, and it's amazing how uh, what a big contrast it was from the Georgia State game, where we struggled from the outside. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we were four for twenty one yeah, or something we like that. Could not buy it, uh, and it had open looks. It wasn't like we were coming down shooting contested threes or forcing shots. We had a lot of open three point looks that just weren't going down, and that's when I think fans and also the staff you start you start going through your head. Oh boy, we're missing open ones, and then it seemed to be contagious. And then after a while, then everybody starts missing open ones. Now, now you're starting to worry a little bit. And uh, what a contrast that was to go down the island or to go down to Cancun and find uh, your rhythm in a lot of areas. We found uh, against Utah State, we shot the ball fairly well. We saw some guys kind of step up. But in the Georgia State game, I thought Spike Albrick and Basil Smotherman kind of gave us that lift off the bench to get right. us over the hump. I mean, right. they, Coach Painter acknowledged those two specifically after the game and said that their energy really inspired the team and the crowd and got us going and we went down to Cancun wondering those guys that maybe had struggled you start wondering when they're going to get back on track and some of them did against Utah State but then certainly everybody did as you mentioned against uh, Auburn. Well Utah State it was Dakota and uh, Haas who combined for 18 of 20 shot attempts 18 of 20 and of course, Dakota was five of six for out, from outside the arc, and was, or six of seven, one or the other. But he was uh, in, incredibly efficient. Those two guys, here's a number to rattle your cage: fifty-one points on twenty shot attempts. That's what we had from just those two players, and we weren't turning the ball over. And those two guys rode us to that easy victory. Then you come to the next game, and Isaac really struggles with turnover problems. So our inside game had problems, and it was just because of, you know, a three-second call here, a fumble finger here, a, a, an offensive uh, foul, and then uh, and that caused, you know, gave them a lot more possessions. But the guy who really was the catalyst, kept us in the game without question in the first half, was Carson Edwards, who everybody's been talking about. We've seen him right. since right. we've seen him since the Spain practices, and every one of us, and I've said it on the air every game, you just wait. Yep. And um, I'm not saying he's going to be like that every game. I think there's always going to be ups and downs with a volume shooter like him. But he was pretty good in that game, man. Well, the people who were with us in Spain and then those who were who have seen our practices, people who stopped by, um, they've seen this for a long time now. And <laughs> right, it's like yeah. it's one of those things where you know you got something pretty cool and you want you know everybody's eventually going to see it. You're just not sure when they're going to see it. And that's the case with Carson Edwards. We knew in Spain, because you can talk about the competition wasn't great, and they certainly they weren't the Globetrotters. But he was making open shots, quick shots, that would translate against anybody. He's got a very fast release. He's obviously a really good athlete. And those kind of shots he's going to make no matter who's in front of him. And we just haven't hadn't seen it up until really the Auburn game. Um, and so the for four games, the Purdue fans, you know, five if you include the exhibition game, Purdue fans are kind of wondering, where's this guy we're, we're hearing so much about? They saw a couple glimpses, more more his athleticism in the open court. Um, they certainly saw that he was fearless when it came to shooting because he, he has a tendency to pull the trigger on some shots that maybe some other guys wouldn't do. But Coach Painter has said those are the kind of things you got to live with with him because the payoff is so high. This, you know, he, when he gets going, 
um, it can it can cause havoc on the opponent. We saw that against Auburn. He, as you said, in the first half kept us in it and was taking shots that maybe, I don't want to say they're out of rhythm or bad shots, but because for him they're not. And he was making them, and it really flipped the game, especially there um, in the second half when well, we got that, things going. that three-pointer at the buzzer, which, by the way, is our second three-pointer at the buzzer in this short season because if you remember back to the Villanova game, uh, P.J. Thompson buried the one from half court. But this one was, was pretty impressive, and he openly admits, hey, I messed up the play call. Yeah, I end up with the ball. He's in the deep right corner. And he used a head fake and brought the guy out to him, and, and the guy didn't take the fake too well. He, he stuck him right there, and so he had nothing else to do but to step back and throw that ball up, and he got nothing but net. Now, that gave Purdue a two-point lead at the half after they had had an 11-point lead, so it got the momentum back a little bit. Auburn scored the first three-pointer of the second half to take a one-point lead, and that's all she wrote. After that, it was all Boilermakers for the rest of the game, so... Man, he was really important. He had 21 points. He went from uh, hitting two of 16 three-pointers. He had four or five or three out, you know, in that game. And, I mean, it was uh, – and and he'll have games like that. And the thing that really impressed you was Auburn is an elite team athletically. And uh, he ran through that – he dribbled through that press like uh, like it was Swiss cheese – like what are you guys trying to do because you can't guard me so that was great to see too yeah it was uh that and you mentioned at the end of the half there not running the play right those are some of the things that (laughs) you live with as a freshman you're going to have guys you know he's learning a brand new playbook let alone having having to play at this level and uh, we tell our players all the time that your freshman year is going to be far and away your hardest year in basketball it's the hardest year of your life don't care how early you started playing there's never going to be a more difficult season um, than, than your freshman year. And uh, he was, you could tell the frustration on his face after those first few games when he was missing shots he's normally used to making. It was really good to see him get back on track uh, against Auburn. And then we talked about, you mentioned Dakota's really uh, breakout game against Utah State. That was great to see as well because he had been struggling a little bit in some of those early games, missing some shots that normally you see him make. Uh, we know that he's going to be solid all um, all around, but it's good to see the ball go in for him too. But that's the thing. I mean, that's you just brought up the most important thing for Dakota Mathias is the things that he has done outside of shooting the basketball. Yeah, he's a good shooter, and we hope that he'll continue to shoot at the level he is. I mean, right now, if he shoots three-pointers the way he is, he'll lead the nation in three-point shooting. But what he has done so well, one, is rebound the basketball, Number two, his assist numbers are the best of anybody on the team, along with Vince Edwards, by the way. A lot of people wouldn't know that. And the third thing is, and he talked about it uh, before that 9 of 10 game, he said, I've been, what I have done is basically try to play through my defense. And he's playing pretty good defense. And, and so those things have made him a solid contributor to two. So if there's any thought that Dakota Mathias may be replaced as a two-guard, that's just not going to happen. Right, and and I think one of the things to, to pass along to the fans is defensively, a lot of times when you watch games, you're just watching the ball, and you're watching guys exactly. who guard the ball. Exactly. And the other the other part of, of the defensive scheme is everything away from the ball, or weak side as we call it. And when we go back as a staff and watch the film, you break down the whole, all five guys defensively. You're not just looking at the on-ball guy, which maybe you would in the game. And a lot of times, I got to tell you on the bench, when, when a guy gets scored on, everybody looks at each other and goes, who was that? 
And what we're saying is who who really caused that that score? And it may not be the guy in the ball because there. Let's be honest. There's certain times Dakota might switch out on a guy, and he may be guarding a guy on the perimeter that we know he can't keep in front of him. All right, he this guy is a you know not nobody in America can keep a guy in front of him sometimes. So then our focus becomes on who was on the weak side, the back side that should have slid over to help to take a charge, things like that, and then. On top of that, who else should have rotated over to take that man? So there's a lot of complicated layers defensively, and Dakota is really good away from the ball, and that's a lot of times just as important as the guy who's on the ball. So I think Dakota would be the first guy to say, look, I'm not a great on-ball defender. He's gotten a lot better over the last year. There's no doubt about that. But he is a really good weak side defender, and that's something that uh, when we go back and look at the film is really, really important to what we do. Not to belabor the point, but we're going to see some athletic teams this year. There's no question Louisville will be the next one that, you know, really stands out as being a team that can press you, has good length, uh, will bother you uh, defensively. But what I enjoyed about the Auburn game more than anything was to go against a team that did have more athleticism than we did totally. Now, they don't have our size. I mean, they no way do they have our size. But the knock on this team prior to the season was, or at least the big question was, how are the perimeter guys going to play? Purdue has, if not the best front-line starters in the country, certainly in the top five. The problem was, hey, can these guards do anything? And I think the, uh, the overall picture so far has been pretty darn good because I think P.J., Dakota... Uh, along with Spike, Carson, and now Ryan Klein being added to the mix. I think we've got a lot, of, a lot of weapons there and guys that have done things pretty darn well so far to start the season. Well, when you saw this team on paper in the summer, I think a lot of people said, boy, that great post play surrounded by those shooters, how are you going to – you can't play both. You know, If you're going to take away your post guys, you're going to leave shooters open. And if you're going to cover shooters up, you're going to leave Haas and Swanigan one-on-one on the post to go to work. And we saw with Auburn, as you mentioned, long and athletic, and they're as athletic as anybody we're going to see all year yeah. in terms of the, the complete roster. They had some long, athletic guys. Um, they're just you know a little young, but uh, I think that was good to see that you can go against a team like that and have your way. But the team that defended us best in the entire tournament, we haven't seen uh, NJIT yet, though, was Georgia State. I mean, they really did a great job on our bigs to the point – that our outside guys weren't making shots, and it became very frustrating. Uh, we eventually got them into foul trouble, which is going to always happen because of our two biggest players. But, you know, they, they are the ones who defended us as good as anybody, and, and I would say they, de- they defended us better than Villanova defended us So to this point. So. Well, and I think you touched on something that I think is going to be a – I could see it being a trend with us. We have a tendency to get – teams and foul problems because it's almost impossible to play Isaac Haas one-on-one in the post without fouling at some point. And I got to tell you, for every foul they call, they let three or four of them go. Yes. And I'm sure I'm not yes. saying anything yes. to the fans that yes. they don't know yes. because they're probably sitting there watching TV screaming for a foul as well. We're doing it on the bench uh, likewise. But I think that's one of the things that you're going to see as this season goes on where maybe the game stays close for a while. And then as teams get in foul problems, we can start turning it towards the end. And that's and and uh, I think that's just a product of when you have a post-oriented team like that, uh, that's kind of how it goes sometimes. And also a veteran team. Well, we've talked uh, 
for a long time here, so I guess we can wrap this thing up. But I'll say this. I mean, you make really good points, but now we are a more mature team for the most part. You know, we have one freshman who's been put in a great situation because he's playing with so many experienced guys. So I think he'll just be fine. And everybody else, they've been around the block here for a while. And uh, they know how the game's played. They know how to play in our league. And the coolest thing about this tournament in, in closing is we saw so many different styles of play. And that's really good. Now, things will change when we get to the Big Ten because everybody scouts you and we know what everybody does. And, you know, it's it's not the same. But we still have some really good games coming up here in the non-conference schedule, starting with Louisville next week. And that's a road game. And then you have Notre Dame on a neutral floor. Um, Arizona State, on, Arizona neutral State floor. on neutral floor in New York. So, Well, one, th- one thing I will say, too, as we wrap this up is We've given some people something to think about now in terms of not just Haas and Swanigan. Now they're thinking, you know, as they go through a scouting report, oh boy, you know, we got a lot more to worry about than those two. And and the case in point, I want to share this story because I thought it was pretty cool. After the Utah State game, Coach Painter pulled Carson Edwards and put Dakota back in, and Carson kind of gave him a look like, man, I'm coming out already. And Coach said, look, man, I'm not taking you out. I'm putting Dakota back in. Have you seen what the guy's been doing? At that point, he was like, you know, seven of eight or something. And it was a really good point. And then he, then the next day, it was the roles were reversed. He's pulling Dakota out and putting Carson back in. It was the same concept only now. I'm putting Carson back in. I'm not taking Dakota out. Dakota did nothing wrong, but Carson's on fire. Right. And it was, it was a great uh, teaching point because after that game was over against Auburn, coach made the point. He said, look, there's going to be days when other guys got it going. And you got to understand, they're going to be, they're going to have to be on the floor. Just as when you get it going, you're going to have to be on the floor. So as as a team, when we mature and accept those roles and do those kind of things, that's when a team can really take off. And hopefully, you're starting to see the signs of that uh, from our play down in Cancun. So. I agree. A lot of basketball coming up, Eve. Yep, exciting, uh, exciting games ahead of us. New Jersey, NJIT coming up, and then the trip to Louisville. I think we may try to do a our first ever road podcast from uh, the Yum Center down there. We'll have to see. Have to see how it goes if our uh, if our road crew can get everything packed up and and hauled down to Louisville for that. So, uh, thanks again. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in to the podcast. Remember, you can follow us on uh, social media. The Purdue basketball um, handle is Boilerball, and uh, stay uh, stay connected with us. And hopefully, uh, have you tune in when we broadcast from Louisville. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.